You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica, so... If that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? I am. All right. So number 90 with the great Brian McWilliams. I've been looking forward to having this conversation, and I don't know any of the lines for the Avengers, but uh, I'm sure what's-his-face Thanos says something when he gets all the uh, Infinity Gloves or whatever the hell it is, all the crystals for the Infinity Glove. I got all the lines of Liberty now on the show at one point or another. And I take pride in being the last one to come on. The most <laughs> exclusive, the hardest to get. That's what some would say. Uh, okay, well, yeah. I'm the, I, last, I'm the last asshole on the bingo card you could check off there. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Mark's in Mexico, so, well, well yeah. I, I'll leave that as. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I was talking to him, he said he's finally gotten to the point where he no longer has, you know, just rampant diarrhea. So he's officially a native now. So it's good. He's, he's achieved that status. And I think your taxes go down. That's how tax days work in Mexico. Like they don't have a naturalization process. You don't have to learn the state, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance. You don't have to learn who the president is. They literally are just like, have you stopped shitting yet after drinking the water? And if you have, you're naturalized. You're a citizen. Yeah. And then it's kind of like natural selection from there. I'm guessing if you just keep shitting, oh, yeah. then they're eventually just going to deport you. <laughs> they probably got stricter standards there than we do here. I, but, I, you know, I don't know, dude. <laughs> um, anyways, how you doing today, man? I am good. I was uh, I was out of town. I was sick. We had to delay the recording a couple of times because I got, you know, like my kid gave me, you know, this cough. And I don't know if it was COVID or not because I didn't test for it. And I don't plan on testing for it. Meanwhile, you know, we, we, we gave me this cough. I just had a buddy of mine. He tested his kid who's like two. They shut down his daycare for a week. And I'm like, you're the asshole. I was like, that's what you get for testing your two-year-old for COVID. I'm over it. 
I mean, maybe I'm the asshole for saying it. You're saying, oh, you're a danger poet. It's a cold. I don't know, man. It's a cold to me. And I think that stopping the world, you know, I, don't stop the world to melt with me over COVID is the way I look at it. And uh, you know, I was just arguing with some other people that I'm friends with because one, you know, one dude's wife got COVID and he's quarantining with her. And I'm like, go out, man. Go cough on people. Lick people in the face because we can't stop society from turning. So that's what I would, I would deal with. A lot of COVID drama. But, you know, me, myself, I'm now finally over it. The coughing's gone away. And even though I was in Vegas last week for a client uh, adventure, just coughing in other people's faces on the trade show floor, I think I'm all right. Um, to... I guess ask a real quick question. If they're, if they're wearing masks, it's probably a good idea to spit on them. I think so. Well, you know, I mean, the masks don't do anything anyway, unless it's the N95s, in which case you have to lean in like you're whispering, mm -hmm. then just lift the edge <laughs> of it and spit right in their mouth holes. Have, have you done that? That seems actually pretty difficult. I, I, I feel like I could do it. I got a pretty long tongue. But yeah, I don't Gene know Simmons if, style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know if I could like work it and then go for the launch or what? I, well, I you, the secret is you lean in like you're whispering a secret. So you put your hand next to your mouth and then with your pinky, right? Have you ever fingered somebody in the asshole with your pinky? It's so, like that, but you slide it in their mask and give them a little finger banging right in the mouth hole. Yeah, well, that sounds like a more appropriate shocker than uh, the one we were used to prior to 2019. They are always surprised. Anytime the pinky comes into play, whether it's butts or mouths, it's always a shock. Yeah, well, I mean, you know what they say, never go ass to mouth, but I think in this situation, it can almost be appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like, you know, with all this shit, it makes me want to do the old, you know, like that movie Mall Rats, where they had, uh, God, I can't remember the guy's name, but he gives people the stink palm where he rubs his, his hand up his sweaty ass crack and then gives everybody food poisoning. The same thing, but for COVID. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a hell of a way to achieve herd immunity, but I think it's totally viable. Uh, whatever's the fastest way to get there, man. Mm-hmm. How about oh, you? Yeah. How are you doing? How you? How's your week going? Dude, fantastic. Other than the fact that I uh, like my last working day, I kind of got kicked in the balls the entire day. It's like one of those days where, okay, so I'm a mechanic for a living. And uh, I get these low mileage vehicles that are just fucked beyond all belief. So I pull in this Buick and the USB in like little plug for like an aux cord didn't work. So GM has these instructions and they're pretty straightforward. Okay. If this doesn't work, replace this. Then if that doesn't work, replace this. So I, I followed it to a T and then I had to call um, GM's technical assistance. And they're like, yeah, well, you're going to have to do all this shit. And it's like the end of the day. I'm like, I just want to go the fuck home. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm like kind of bitching, put shit back together. I'm like, look, they're going to have to leave the fucking car. They're going to have to take it. And then I had a car earlier in the day. I put something into it. Uh, I didn't fix it. So the normal <laughs> saying is like, oh, well, that ain't it. So right. move on. Well, that. that's the thing, man, with like with what your job is. So in the old days, you know, if you were a mechanic, you're like, okay, I'm dealing with mechanical aspects. Mechanic. Mechanical. Right. And now it's electrical. Now it's computer shit. Now it's all these different things. Like that's where with my car. I mean, I envy people that have like cars from the 1970s that don't have all of this electrical bullshit. Granted, it's it, it it's easy, right? You get your your GPS, you can move around, you got your uh, your podcast, your Bluetooth, but you can fix your car effectively, right? And it wouldn't cost like on my old car, it was a Saab, and the oh, center so ignition sorry. switch. I'm so, oh, dude. I, I fucking hate those cars. <laughs> oh, I, I understand why. I loved my Saab. It was fast. as a Saab 93 Sport. Uh, quick as shit, man. Those, awesome those, okay, yeah, those are kind of cool. But it died because Saab had one weird year 
where they made this very specific ignition switch and it was only in one year of cars and then the company went out of business. So I couldn't find the switch. You had to literally rip it out of an old car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this dog knows what's up. Yeah, it pissed like, off my somebody dog. Somebody say too. sob. Yeah, but I had to rip it out of an old car to get it installed. But I mean, it's like, I can't imagine how much more difficult your job is now having to deal with all of this, these electrical specs and putting in these different parts. Again, it's like, as opposed to the old days, we're like, okay, I have a grasp of the mechanical components involved in making this thing run. I should be able to fix it fairly simply without having to go through, like you said, you know, 50 pages of uh, electrical guides. Oh my God. Yeah. Don't even get me started. I've put in, I literally put an engine in a 500 mile Cadillac XT5. And it it used to be like you open the hood and you can reach behind there and you put it up in the air. There's a couple things there. Now you're literally dropping the entire front end of the vehicle onto the ground, Mm -hmm. separating it. And this shit just takes so much time. And then you got people screaming at you. And then my job too, we have very unreliable people. And this is the only dealership I ever worked at where like the techs are unreliable. People Mm -hmm. just like randomly don't show up. So it's like, all right, well (laughs) then you have to pick up the pace for everybody else that ain't here. And, uh, yeah, man, Jesus Christ, it fucking sucks. So I always wonder how many people. Well, I I don't I don't want to I don't want to you know steal all this, but I always wonder now. I'm like, yeah. okay, anybody that shows up late for work, right? We're coming out of this home economy. There's a lot of money to be made on OnlyFans. Are any of your coworkers hot enough to be on OnlyFans moonlighting, and they're just not showing up to work anymore because they're busy showing their dicks? Um, I do have a coworker from West Virginia. Um, so- he's got a sol- solid dick on him. <laughs> It, well, it's pretty low, bro. I call him Teddy Graham because if you looked at him, he's shaped like a Teddy Graham. Um, <laughs> and he says, I'm, I'm so cute and lovable. I said, yeah, but you're not hot or fuckable. So, <laughs> but uh, I, he, he got a girlfriend recently. I don't know if I've told the story on the podcast, but uh, he got well, a girlfriend. I haven't heard it, so it's new to me, man. <laughs> uh, he got a girlfriend and he wouldn't tell anybody her last name, right? And we all knew that he knew it and he would say that he didn't know it. But hmm, that's uh, it's almost impossible to not know your girlfriend's well, last name. Right. So I came up to the solution to this after he started like letting it be known that he knew, but didn't want to tell anybody. I'm like, look, if you don't want to tell anybody, that's fine. But if you're going to lie and say that you know or that you don't know, and everybody knows you know, all right, now I got a fucking issue. So I started talking exactly. to him. I said, <laughs> you know why you won't tell anybody her last name? It's because it's your last name. <laughs> and he lives in West Virginia, so it makes sense. Well, he used to live in West Virginia. Sister, cousin, or unlost, unloaned lost brother. You decide. That's where, you know, too, I wonder, I never tried this, but I know you can find people. And this is what's scary, too, by taking a picture of them, right? And you could like, whoop, you could, like, back search through Google logs and, like, compare it. And I only found this out by watching nine. 90 day fiance where some some old chick was getting catfished by some young uh young young hot bod and they took the picture and just google searched and uploaded it and you could find people's pictures that way too so that's another way to stalk somebody but you'd have to meet <laughs> yeah yeah well uh people my age um yeah i'm thankfully kind of out of the dating market but man I, i'll tell you what i had to mess around with tinder and bubble for a while and yeah if you're looking to get laid there is no better way but i mean <sighs> I like the fucking i'm, I'm jealous crazy. of you <laughs> I, I I got in my relationship with my wife right before Tinder and Bumble launched. And I can't mm-hmm. tell you like the anger that still to this day I hold inside mm-hmm. me for, I can brag it only 700 times in you know, yeah, two months, but no, no, I had to go fuck it up. Meet this love of my life ruins everything for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had um, a few bad experiences. One of the worst ones was uh, I remember going to this bar out in Indiana, which is like a small college town. 
and uh, this girl looked really good in all these pictures. So I was pretty excited. I'm like, oh man, this bitch is smoking. So this could be pretty <laughs> cool. So I see all these girls walking in and I'm just sitting there with my drink. And this is after I quit drinking beer. So this was probably about like six years ago now. And all I drink is whiskey, liquor, and like white claws. <laughs> I know. So it's kind of like two ends. But, um, <laughs> all together in a jug. Yeah. Yeah, so I had Goldschlager and Crown, which is actually really fucking good. But I mean, that shit will oh, get you. That's disgusting. Oh, Goldschlager is the first thing that ever made me throw up. Actually, it might yeah. have been Aftershock, one of the two. Okay, well, I mean, it'll get you fucked up, but it tastes pretty good. So I'm sitting there sipping on it, and all these good-looking women are coming in. I'm like, all right, all right, where's mine? And then she came in. I swear to God, this bitch was six foot two, black <laughs> lipstick, nipple piercings. And she came in with a gay dude right behind her, right? And <laughs> I'm looking at them I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! This is going to be a rough fucking night. So I, I'm pretty sure I was more attracted to the dude than I was the girl. Oh, but, uh, that's it. Well, still, but you still got lucky. So that's a good uh, end of the story. No, no, I didn't get lucky. I left the fucking. Oh, like, oh, I got. I got. Come get on, the man. Experiment. You're sitting there drinking Goldschlager and what? <laughs> Goldschlager and Crown. Crown's my go-to. Okay, Goldschlager and Crown. Well, you would have deserved it. And and Goldschlager. <laughs> if you would let that guy fuck you in the ass, he would have oh. pulled his dick out, and it would have been covered in gold flakes. How's that for a first date story? Well, I mean, at least you could recover some of the loss, at least, right? Right. Yeah. I don't I know what gold. Okay. <laughs> Does it say same thing? I don't. I don't know what the gold value of those flakes are uh, on the marketplace, but you know, with inflation. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, if I would have held it back then, it would have been at least worth like twenty bucks, maybe. Which you know, that's that's probably about the gas and the drinks that it cost me to uh, do shit that night. Yeah, dude, it was rough. So um, you were in Pennsylvania at one point, right? You, Mark, and uh, Odie. Yep, that's how we know each other. We all went to Penn State. And, uh, you know, I said you, you I saw your, uh, your Yinzer, uh, proud Yinzering. So yeah, you and Odie are in Pittsburgh, but yeah, Odie's from Pittsburgh. We all went up into Penn state. Mark's from Connecticut originally, and I'm from Philly side. So yeah, in Pennsylvania and after the Sandusky scandal, of course, which is bullshit. You can listen to a very recent episode with John Odermatt on how the Sandusky scandal is bullshit, but um, yeah, all been up at Penn State, but that's where I learned uh, I learned to hate people from Pittsburgh from my experience <laughs> at Penn State. And I had nothing against it before that. You know, I'm in Philly. I'm like, whatever, same state, you know, football, hockey, whatever. Got to Penn State, and just because of the close proximity to all of these Pittsburgh putting French fry on their sandwich-loving dummies, I learned to despise them. And especially... Like, I don't know exactly how old you are, but there, there was a sports rivalry between the Flyers and the Penguins, which went like six overtimes right when I was in college. And people were yelling in the middle of the night up till two in the morning, screaming at each other. Sounds about right. So, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, well, I've gotten over that now. I had, uh, I learned to hate people from Pittsburgh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know what? That's a fair point. Um, I'm not a sports person at all. I, I fucking hate sports, and I actually don't like Permani Brothers, and everybody loves Permani Brothers. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Other than that, I, I've been to Florida, Kentucky, um, Las Vegas, um, Ohio. I lived there for about a year and a half. Maryland, and I've never had better food anywhere. I, I mean, I'm such a diehard than fucking Pittsburgh? fat kid at heart. Oh, my God. God, yes. What, what's I there will... like in Pittsburgh? What are you pulling out of the Heinz River or whatever the fuck it is there? Uh, other than old ketchup bottles with hermit crabs pretending that they're shells. Um, Big Rig's Barbecue is the best barbecue restaurant in the face of the planet, and I will die on this hill. I will proudly <laughs> die on this hill. 
Um, there's a place called Condado's Tacos. It's like a taco chain here in Pittsburgh that's fucking phenomenal. I, I live in Los Angeles. There's no way in hell your taco place in Pittsburgh is going to be better than uh, okay. any taco I can get anywhere <laughs> on the street here at any point. But, in time. No, you probably got a fair point there, but the barbecue here <laughs> is to die for. All right, um, I'll give you that. There's breweries all over the place. I mean, there's even a brewery just a couple minutes away from my house. I live about an hour north-ish of Pittsburgh. Um, did you guys go to like Penn State in like the middle of the state? I think it's called State College. Yeah, yeah we went to State College. It was like the main campus because they got a shit ton of satellite campuses now everywhere mm. too, which you can graduate from. And I will say it pisses me off. It just yeah. does because it's all the then it's all the same degree because nobody ever you just get you graduate from Penn State mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, okay, whatever. Now, granted, college a scam. Like I, I'm I'm fully in like my I have a two year old daughter. I don't want to make her go to college. I'd be happy if she became a carpenter. I regret going to college except for, you know, meeting some people. That's about mm -hmm. it. Um, but, yeah, we all went to main campus, which is in the, the center of the state. It's like four hours from Pittsburgh and like three and a half from, yep. from Philly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you guys um, – were you guys all in like the same uh, class together just kind of, you know? Same fraternity. Yeah, fraternity life. Okay. We're all frat boys, uh, oddly enough. Oh, were and you guys doing that weird frat boy stuff where you stick each other's thumbs in each other's asses and kind sadly of dance around the not. room? Sadly, <laughs> not. No, we we missed out on that opportunity. I mean, it was one of the things. Our, our fraternity had two gay, two rules. It was no gay stuff and no uh, physical violence, right? Which is a good rule to have. And maybe maybe why we became libertarians. You know, we had no gay stuff, no physical altercation, so we have nothing coming out of college. Where I'm like, I gotta fuck somebody to even this out, and I gotta beat somebody up to even this out. You know, there was none of that. So it was like, you know, just drinking a lot. It was like, it was people that were you know, fairly funny. A lot of, uh, a lot of engineers and intellectuals, surprisingly for a fraternity. So for mm. the experience, it was good, but yeah, we all met in that area. And a lot of the people there were conservative, not libertarian, but straight conservative. So there's a lot of George W. Bush lovers, you know, in the fraternity. And of course it was also when bin Laden's out there. I remember when, when they killed him, my like woman runs in, he's like, we got him, you know, that, that kind of shit. Yeah. <laughs> I remember, I think I remember the day I was, I'll be 28 in November, but I remember that breaking all the news and even like, so I'm a heavy metal kid at heart and nobody would probably know unless I like told him I used to have hair down to my chest. Um, yeah, you can see all the guitars behind me. I mean, I grew up listening to all the early 2000s, new wave of American heavy metal stuff and got Oh, no, I was just going to say, I just met... Oh, God, where's this fucking card? I just met one of the band members in uh, a, a band called Biohazard. Is that, oh, I know them. Yeah. Yeah, they're yeah, like they're they're a pretty, hardcore they're, band. They're pretty big. Yeah, I just met him yesterday, so it just sprung to mind when we were talking about metal. Anyway, okay, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Um, so, yeah, I was a huge heavy metal kid, and you know everybody in music because of... If you know personality traits, then more creative people tend to lean left. Um, yeah. I remember the heavy metal website sharing the article of the guy who supposedly killed Ben Laden saying that I proudly wore my demon hunter patch when I killed Ben Laden. <laughs> and like all these metal websites, I mean, some of these dudes are like outright communists. I don't know if you follow uh, Philip Bonte at all, but like they beef with him because he's a real diehard libertarian. They yeah. throw shit his way all the time. But as soon as it came to uh, them killing Ben Laden, they were proudly talking about it because, of course, this dude was a heavy metal lover and he, you know, he was fighting him for our freedom. Yeah, it's it always amazing. And I, that's something I've, I've also keyed on and, and I, I like marked as a problem within libertarian and conservative movements is that there is a distinct, I think, lack of like storytelling ability. And like you said, the more creative people will gravitate towards the left. But then it's ironic because they go left. 
right? They're creative in all these ways that even like tech companies, right? Mm -hmm. Entrepreneurial geniuses create tech, but then they let the tech be co-opted by authoritarians, by the government. They hashtag resist, but yet when they hashtag resist, all they're doing is actually lying in with the mainstream mm -hmm. viewpoint. So it's like, you're not resisting. You're in fact, basically doubling down on what everybody already thinks. Like there's nothing unique or creative about that. And one of the things I was, I, you know, I've been trying to talk about in this, you know, kind of like the redid the show to mean age daydream is to try to get more, I don't know, more of like a, a fairy tale mentality into our movement, right? And so how can we get creative? How can we get more entrepreneurs? How can we get more people in there that are going to tell about, you know, the, the castle on the hill? How can we get to people with storytelling, with creative aspects that's going to inspire them rather than just being like curmudgeons that are bitching about shit all the time? Bitching about shit's great, mind you. It's the best. The, I mean, complaining is the great unifier for all yeah. humanity. Let's not be wrong about that. But when it comes to the point you're making earlier, when people want to be inspired, they're not looking to libertarians. You mm -hmm. know, they're looking to these fucking dipshit leftists who can create, you know, they'll create a great story, but, you know, they've got to put in a guy with six dicks and, uh, you know, he became, and is a black Eskimo mm -hmm. and all this other bullshit that in the meantime is also just kind of kowtowing and repeating, you know, authoritarian narratives. So we have to find a way to work in our narratives a little bit more creatively and a little bit, uh, I guess, more subvertively. Because, right, mm -hmm. isn't that the less the, the left's big deal is they're able to subvert people's outright outrage their logical objections because they get wrapped up in a story and then by the time they realize that you know cinderella is going to be teaching their kids that there are 18 different genders well it's too late you've right. disney plus already <laughs> <laughs> yeah right right um so it kind of seems like you guys over at the uh at your network there had kind of came to a realization after covid that um libertarianism isn't enough by itself and I think anyone who's been objectively looking at the last two years, um, they realize we can no longer just sit by and constantly be right about everything because, mm -hmm. <laughs> well, we could be right, but, you know, what good is that if our lives aren't any better, you know, materially? Um, so I know Mark, I don't want to say he's like, you know, given up on libertarianism in itself. And I know John hasn't either, and I'm sure you yeah. haven't either, but it, it's just, it seems like you guys realize, like I said, it's just not enough and that there needs to be more, like we need to do something else. Um, I, I haven't heard you speak necessarily outright about that as much as Mark has in particular. Mm -hmm. I know John does a little bit, but um, you know, what were, I guess let's start with when 2020 kind of happened, where were you in, kind of throughout like the first six months, did your mind kind of change on how things were going? Yeah, I mean, what we saw in 2020, and I think this is the catalyst of viewing libertarian, as you said, being right, you know, objecting, but having nothing actually change really came to a head is that mm -hmm. when you see everything get torn down, when you see people's freedoms get ripped asunder, when you see jobs, you know, just massive jobless, a third of, you know, businesses going under and children sitting at home, you see all these things happen. And, and I remember I, I've said this on my show and, and a couple others, I think, but, it, you know, like I said, I haven't even said it repetitively. Um, is that when it came down to it, and and I, I can't speak for Mark Adoni specifically on this, but for sure. me, it came down to if we can't look at what's happened, right? If we look at 
all these things that have just destroyed society, if we can't make a stand on this, if we can't get ahead, if we can't massively explode the party and get people on our side to a position where we're going to actually say the Libertarian Party or Libertarianism as a whole is a powerful cultural movement, which I still don't think we can say even now, then what is the fucking point, right? Mm -hmm. Because... You could say, what bigger gift can you have than a government going full authoritarian, not just our government, the world government going full authoritarian all at once and all over something that now, if you look at it, you know, if you're not just one of these leftists that is absolutely completely bought into the concept and can't admit that they were wrong, if you look at it objectively on a disease, which really was, as I said, a basic common cold, right? It, the, the death rates were... a approximately you know one percent in a small percentage of americans you have the vaccines that they forced upon us and all these hard effects and side effects and people dying and long-term effects of this shit that they pushed on us you have giant you know massive billions upon billions of dollars of profit from big pharma in bed with these people you have lockdowns on social media and what you can say and can't say and the advances in censorship and you look at it and you go okay coming out of it what's changed doesn't seem like much it does even in the even within the lawmaking apparatus. Thomas Massey, you know, he was backing a bill that was put forward by a conservative uh, law, lawmaker, and I can't remember exactly what his name was, but it was essentially saying that this new domestic terrorism apparatus they're putting in cannot be turned towards Americans for objecting to the vaccine. And you know what? It didn't pass. It's like, and it's not going to get through. And you look at that kind of shit, and you go, if we still can't get this through, if Americans aren't rioting the streets. They'll go ride in the streets because George Floyd, because of this created, you know, emphasis on racial divides, which I don't think are a real thing. Well, if we're not out in the street protesting over this in the same manner, we have lost, mm -hmm. at least within the standard tactics we're using today. And I think that's what inspires us to say, okay, we need to move on past this. And, and look, I'm still involved in the party. I'm going to Reno. I'm going to, to, to the national convention. I'm a delegate. I'm going to support Angela McArdle, who's a friend of mine, I think would be a great chair, but she gets it. Yeah. She gets that there has to be a different, different form of messaging. You know, Dave Smith, you know, love Dave Smith. He's, I think he's going to be running for president. He understands that you have to message in a different way and be more aggressive about this and attack people in a different manner rather than just wheedling and, and whining. But Dave's also coming from a different perspective. He's a comedian. He's an entertainer. He is a creative. Um, you know, Angela in her own right, is, she's an unbelievably creative, resourceful person that is trying to attack the problem from different aspects. And that's where when we talk about abandoning, you know, libertarianism, a lot of people, and I can see this, and, you know, I, I think Mark's one of them, they lost their faith in party politics. And now they're saying the only way we're going to do this is the Elon Musk way, right? And this is the thing. Stop being poor, you know, uh, if we, we've seen that phrase tossed around, you know, Mark's <laughs> emphasis on entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. But if you have Elon Musk money, the greatest libertarian now that, that may ever live, and I say that un, unironically, he may surpass Murray Rothbard in, in actual effect on humanity. That may be the only way we're going to win this, is by amassing enough power just like these existing elites have over the course of, you know, however many long to impact society, to influence society by be making smart purchases, to, by becoming entrepreneurs that influence how people live their lives. And Musk is doing that. Uh, he may, and I, I say this legitimately, he may be our fucking libertarian Jesus, man. Yeah, that's definitely a, a very optimistic take on Elon Musk. Um, 
I I'm very skeptical because I think he's going to have to really fucking clean house top to bottom if he wants Twitter to be what he says he wants it to be just because I was talking about this earlier. Um, I've been talking about this actually since this whole deal kind of broke out, but uh, these totalitarian regimes and regimes that are like Twitter, they don't work from the top down. It's always bottom up. You have to have that woke ideology at every single level or else it cannot, you know, continue to be perpetuated. Um, if you start to rid that, you start to get rid of some of those people that are doing the dirty work that are, you know, looking at individuals' profiles and that are creating algorithms, then you can actually, you know, have a little bit more free speech if you have all these people out of there, right? Um, so it, it's definitely a cultural thing. And I think that's where libertarianism and libertarians have failed is that they failed to attack the culture and the political right does the same thing. They mm-hmm. failed to attack the culture. Yep. But this was the appeal to Trump and even a little bit to Santis too. Um, the appeal of Trump, despite the fact that he was like the greatest letdown and failure of a president you could possibly <laughs> have, um, he represented culture. Although he did everything the establishment wanted him to do, he made a bunch of noise and that noise inspired all these people to get up and, you know, get involved and get excited about something. This is the same deal with the Ron Paul campaigns. It represented culture. Well, what happens? You have a culture at a ground level that's not accepting the regime's narrative. It can't hold up. So that's yeah. what's so dangerous about people like Ron Paul, about Donald Trump. It wasn't necessarily that they had power, although Donald Trump definitely could have had a lot of power, but he just fumbled every time he had the chance. In my mind, I think he's controlled opposition just by judging everything he said and then flipping on yeah. a dime. I, I don't know. <laughs> but once again, he represented culture, and that made people more aware of the shit that was going on now. Well, Donald Trump, I think, is definitely a creature of culture. And I also think he, you know, talking about flip-flops, I think he was far more attuned to what actually was going on within different people's minds in regards to his movement. So it was kind of like one of those things where he would literally put his finger up. And we, and it's funny because we bust on politicians all the time for doing that, right? Flip-flopping. But yeah. in the meantime, it actually may be the better thing to do uh, in certain situations. <laughs> However, um, you know, like you said, I mean, Ron Paul, Donald Trump, They are dangerous, but I also think that a lot of the time, and this is a problem with our movement as well, you look at who's joining up. Like Ron Paul, that's who I got involved with. You know, he brought me in. Donald Trump, same thing. They represented an extremist viewpoint, right? And now you you could argue that, well, they both were still within the GOP. How extreme could it be? But Ron Paul was literally talking about end the Fed. He's talking about ending the Department of Education. Trump's coming in, you know, kick them all out, build a wall, bring all the investment home, whatever. He was probably made out to be more of an extremist camera just went out of focus from reason. Uh, he was made out to be more of an extremist than he actually is. And I think it's one of those things where the people on the fringes are going to be, uh, far more attracted to that extremist movement, but it's going to be a transitional thing, you know, a, a transient dedication. The same people that went for Ron Paul, went for Bernie, went for Trump. It doesn't make any sense when you look at it from the outside because you know, these are completely diff- disparate movements. How the fuck can you people be aligned here? But they're going to align with those people. So you have to say, okay, well, how much power do they really have if these people are not actually bought into an ideology? They're instead bought into you know saying, fuck you. And fuck you can be very powerful. I like oh, saying yeah. fuck you. But at the same time, it's hard to build a movement purely out of saying fuck you. And that was clearly a lot of what Trump had behind him. But at the same extent, so did Ron, so did Bernie. So we talk about building up from our point of view. 
and trying to impact it culturally, I think it's something where we have to work, be, like I said before, be more creative as far as getting people's buy-in to our concepts. And this is, you know, from my opinion, by selling positivity. Because when you look at what leftists do, it is always promising, or rightists do, it's always promising something that is unattainable, going to make your life infinitely better, right? The left promises they're going to give you hands out. Uh, everybody's going to have equality. Everybody's going to be racially skipping and jumping along. You can get your dick flipped inside out if you want. And, uh, you know, you're never going to have to work again. If you get sick, we'll take care of you, right? Promise you the moon. On the GOP side, it's we promise you, you know, safety and security and taxes and your business is going to thrive and, uh, you know, Jesus is going to come down from heaven and he's going to kiss you on the forehead. What libertarians are promising is to take all that away. And it's it's a functionally it's it's functionally a message that doesn't work. It has to be a positive message to impact the culture and say, how can we make this better on an individual level? Right. We're individualists. How can we make your life better where you're going to have a better family, a better future, your money's going to stay, your business is going to thrive? And I think we have the one ideology which actually can provably change these things. But it's going to take time and it's going to take people to listen to get buy-in. And we have to find ways to do it that isn't going to instantly get people to push back because their ideology or their ego is so tied in with a movement or tied in with you know, a racial identity or tied in with whatever it might be. And that's where we have to be very clever about it, which is, I think, art culture you know trying to get involved with with film music is so important because if you can get in and make people laugh or sing or whatever it is and make them buy into who you are as a person and then come around to listen to your views on libertarianism well they might like you a little better their guard's going to be down you know again this is why i wanted to change the title of my show so i'm not outwardly slapping people inside the you know the head with Hey, I'm a libertarian. I'd rather them come in and, and laugh or have fun or talk about culture and then be like, oh, this guy's got some interesting points about liberty. Maybe I could be open to that because the full frontal assault just, it's not effective. And we have so many enemies that are in the mainstream media, the mainstream press tearing that down. And that's where when I look at Twitter and Musk, you know, you could have some some suspect uh, about Musk. Obviously, you know, he, he is definitely not one that's uh, in opposition to crony capitalism and taking handouts from the government. But I think at the end of the day, look, if you're playing within the system, man, play to win. And he is, you know, operating within the system that exists today. And I think that I don't care how libertarian you are, if someone's willing to give you a 25% tax break for your business, why would you not take it? Right. Yeah. You know. and, and see, that's the thing. So Elon Musk has definitely gotten handouts from the government and played the game. But yeah. it's like, okay, what are you supposed to do? Not play the game and lose or play the game and win? Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm going to win. <laughs> I'm sorry. If we're at that level, I'm going to win. And yeah, it sucks. It's not 100% libertarian, but... What are you supposed to do? Just fucking get capped off at the knees? No. Well, that's the thing. That. Exactly, man. It's like you're okay. You're on a boat down a river. You want to try to paddle upstream, which is what we're all doing, right? Mm -hmm. Except they go, okay. Well, here you go. The, here's the game. Do you want me to lend you a paddle? Nah. And you just float down fucking stream and off the waterfall, and that's what we've been doing. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about you know culturally playing the game effectively, I think it's one of the things libertarians have gotten a lot better, and as has conservatives as a whole mm -hmm. at fighting the fight on more effective terms with comedy and predominantly with comedy mm -hmm. because you look at the memes going out there a good meme i mean lives of tiktok right not that those are memes but effectively showcasing madness on the left you know and making it comedic easily shareable viral moments right or these memes that you see you know the great meme of the uh, the sweating superhero which button to push 
these things are visually effective they're comedy and, and it's hard for people to argue because that comedic instinct to laugh at something can break through a shell and even you know like bill maher had a great joke and not that this is on a, a specific topic but or a specific culturally relevant topic but Bill Maher is doing a lot of our work for us right now. He's not perfect, but you can see how things are kind of changing. And he had a great joke I just heard about Hunter Biden. I just retweeted on my Twitter where he's talking about Elon Musk's tweet about putting cocaine back into Coke. And he joked, well, you know, it's all fun and games until Hunter Biden gets his head stuck in a vending machine, right? Mm -hmm. That's fucking funny. Even if you're on yeah. the left, you got to laugh at it. But it raises the questions then, okay, you just laughed at Hunter Biden. Well, it makes you wonder what's now been obfuscated by the, you know, the mainstream media and the government in regards to his laptop. Is Joe Biden corrupt? I mean, it opens up that little crack in people's minds with that one joke to then follow it up with something interesting or have them remember some of the, you know, the things that they've actively and effectively blocked out of their own minds to protect their ego and protect their beliefs. Right. So it's kind of like dangling the uh, fish in front of somebody or the uh, the fishing rod analogy, where you have the dollar and you just slowly pull it back, but yeah. you're, you're you're piquing people's interest, which is something that libertarians have for a long time failed to do. Um, yeah, I want to bring it back <laughs> to something that you said <laughs> earlier. Um, I, so I, we were having a little bit of connectivity issues, but um, Larry Sharp is one of the like greatest people on the face of the planet. I absolutely love Larry. I have so much admiration for that dude because he's one of the guys who brought me into libertarianism. Um, he always says he's selling happiness. And I mm -hmm. think, you know, as naive as that sounds, he's really on to something because um, I think we need to be a collective of happy warriors, right? And I know that's cringe to a lot of libertarians, but if we're happy warriors, if we're influential people fighting for liberty and we, we're having a good time doing it and we're happy about it, and this is, you know, despite the odds, despite the fact that we're, you know, crawling on broken hands and knees uphill, if we're enjoying it while doing it, then that's something that we could sell to other people like, hey, yep. let's go do this. Let's go have fun doing this. We're going to change the world for the better. But, you know, we're going to have a good time doing it. And even if we lose, we still had a good time doing it. Um, when you just tell people this is misery, this is terrible, the odds are stacked against us, you're going to hate your life, this is going to suck, then why would anyone want to listen? Why does anybody care? They'll just fucking go sit at home and vote Republican or Democrat for the rest of their life. And yeah, there's some better Republicans than there were 10 years ago. Maybe there's even some better Democrats than there were 10 years ago. But if you're just telling them that all you're going to do is ruin their life by pulling the wool off their eyes, yep. why the fuck would they want to do that? Exactly, man. Well, it's funny. You talk about, and I love Larry Sharp, and I agree, sell happiness, right? That's what I'm saying. Sell the fairy tales. Sell, sell the daydream of a better future and how you're going to help people. But also, I want to key in on something you were talking about, being happy and having a great time, right? There's not a lot of people out there, and I'm glad to see people like you and, you, and others in the movement coming up that are likable, that are funny, that are outgoing, that can talk to people. Because look, when we talk about it, look, it's the Libertarian Party. It's the Democratic Party. It's the Republican Party. But it's party. And I think you under, you know, it means two different things, but people want to come to the best party. And the Libertarian Party happens to be the one that's for the most freedom. If you got ever gone to Porkfest or any of these other events, you know, it's it's whatever goes, man. We should have the monopoly on the best party, right? And now we've even had women coming into the movement, shockingly. So we've got that too going for us. But the point being, 
like you're saying, having a good time, joking, laughing, having how is showing people that you can have an enjoyable experience while changing the world is going to bring in the people that are created from the other side. It's going to bring in all those, you know, those crazy leftists that are coming in that just are zany and they latch on to these different ideas. They're going to see these people are having a fucking great time. They're trying to and they're trying to help people. That's something that libertarians get stuck with. Like, and this is a label that the GOP and the left have successfully slapped on us that we want to be hurting people that we're only for ourselves. Not true. We are for the best benefit for every person right now that that benefits me too, but it benefits you. It benefits everybody out there with more freedom, more liberty, more money, more access to all the services that you care about. They're going to benefit all of humanity and make humanity evolve faster. That's what we're for. And convincing people that this is the overarching goal and not simply, well, I don't want to pay taxes is going to change how people perceive us. And if we're having a hell of a time doing it, then people are going to want to come to our party. Right. And one thing that I like about you in particular um, is that you come at things from a very comedic um, angle. You you do comedy on the side, right? I did stand up for a long, I did stand up for about seven years and I've gotten out of it. I think I'm going to try to get back into it again a little bit more, but, uh, but you're going to see that with the show. I'm going to try to do a lot more sketches and songs and stuff like that. Like I used to do, but yeah, yeah. For about seven years, I did comedy and I ran a show here in LA. Well, I, that's one thing about, you know, I, I could tell that you did stand up at one point and I, I know you've mentioned it on your show a few times before, but you know, you're a likable person. You're a funny person. Dave Smith is a likable person. He's a funny person. Um, you need people who are just likable to be in the movement, like you were saying earlier, because you, what if I'm just some neckbearded dude that's read every single libertarian piece of literature that sits in his basement and just tweets out angrily all day, every yeah. day? Who cares? If you live in your parents' basement and you're not an influential person, people in your community and outside of politics don't respect you, then why should anybody listen to you? Why should anybody be convinced of you? That's been largely the goal with this podcast is that I want to talk to libertarians. I want to talk to health-minded people, but I also yeah. want to put out good information about health to make people better people. I'm going to give you the tools, right? I'm not going to sit here and crack the whip on you, but look, I'm going to give you the tools. Show me what you built. That's yeah. kind of where I feel my place is in the movement. Hopefully I'm having some and I, Well, I was going to say, yeah. man, I, I really like what you're doing because it, it, and it ties in well with, you know, like what, we're, what the same thing we were trying to do is mm -hmm. Liberty plus, right? right? Liberty plus. And I like bringing in the health aspect of it because you're, you're getting people in that are not just coming for political reasons. Mm -hmm. You can win them over by your viewpoints on health and everything else. They like you that you're, you know, like I said, likable person and I'm giving you useful information. Oh, and by the way, I happen to, you know, be a libertarian and I'll give you useful information there too. Mm -hmm. Once you trust me, you know, it's like I work in public relations for my everyday career. Right? That's my, that's my bread and butter money. And Every time I go into a pitch or even talking to me or anybody, it's the biggest question is, do they like you? Do they trust you? Mm -hmm. That's how you win business. That's how you win politics. That's how you win listeners. That's how you win everything in life. Do they like you and do they trust you? But it takes time to build that up. And like you're talking about, libertarians, they have a, a pension. And this is something, if you're listening out there and you're a new libertarian, please resist the urge to go out and want to tell everybody all the fancy things that you learned in your Rothbard, you know, or in your, your Hayek or reading you know, economics in one lesson. They're all great things. You don't want to sound like the, the person that comes out of the psych 101 in college and then starts to break everybody down and tell them they, you know, they want to have sex with their mother. It's obnoxious. Keep it inside and talk about something else. And when it's when it happens to come up, drop it in conversation. But don't lead with it. <laughs>
Yeah. And that's kind of been my thing from the outset is that I want to be a musician, right? I want to be a podcaster. I want to be a mechanic and a uh, athlete and then a libertarian, right? That mm-hmm. should be the least interesting thing about you is your political right. beliefs, right? right? And if you lead with your political beliefs all the time, you know, some people are just immediately turned off by politics in general. Now, I've been lucky where I get health people on and then usually towards the end of the podcast, I start asking them a little bit about political stuff. And, you know, as I did with you and every single guest I have on this show, if I haven't had them on prior, always ask them, hey, is there anything you don't want to talk about? Just because I'm not here to ambush people. Um, But that being said, if you can get those political topics out of people, you'd be amazed how you can kind of pull them over to your side, right? And for me, at least, a lot of the health-minded people, they're pretty much on our side. They're, you'd think, yeah. Well, I mean, it makes so away. much sense. Yeah. You want to control what you put in your body. You mm-hmm. want to control how you live your life. You want to have transparency in what you can get or can't get. Yeah. And, and especially with, you know, when you talk about health, there's so many things, especially for people that are on, you know, looking forward to, what the next thing in health is. My wife's one of these people, you know, we just got now our, our dried beef liver uh, sticks and all this shit. And she's into, you know, like hard minerals. We're drinking in tea and all sorts of crap, right? She's on the forefront of whatever the health movements are. But yeah. a lot of that stuff, you know, maybe they, they want to quash your access to information. Maybe there's misinformation out there coming from pharma, you know, st- you know stampeding uh, over your rights to access, you know, weed, or if you want to have a steroid, or if you want to have, you know, human, human growth, or whatever you want to get, it's your body. You should be able to put what you want into it and control that as long as you're not harming anybody. And I think people in health understand that because they do have regimented views. And a lot of times their views might be outside of the norm when it comes to viewpoints on health and they've got it right because the fucking pyramid of health you know the nutritional pyramid was like 80 percent grains for you know 75 fucking years so yeah. it makes sense to question everything we're being told anyway and that comes from the government right and i've been talking to different people about this on on the show recently but uh it's kind of funny these the ngo right NGO, non-governmental organization of the World Health Organization, mm-hmm. had classified processed meat as a class one carcinogen and just regular old red meat. So like you go to Longhorn Steakhouse, <laughs> sit down for a steak, that is a class two carcinogen. And a carcinogen is defined as something that causes cancer, right? The yeah. World Health Organization defined those as carcinogens. Okay, so let's let's go a little bit further. In 2020, when COVID was a very, very big deal, and it was all anybody was talking about and all that was in the news, um, YouTube had put out a notice and said anything that disagrees with the World Health Organization um, will be taken down off of YouTube. <laughs> yeah. So think about that. If I were to just tell you, hey, maybe you should include some red meat in your diet because of B12, because of folate, because of um, there is vitamin C in meat, um, vitamin C, the bioavailable iron, the bioavailable protein, and as we know by um, digestible, indispensable amino acid charts, that red meat's one of the highest sources and the highest bioavailable sources of protein to our bodies. Mm. You recommend that to people and tell them it's safe to eat. You now disagreed with the World Health Organization. Yep. And yep. that could be taken down off of YouTube. Now, yeah. I I think they changed it. I'm not 100% sure, but shit's kind of ridiculous. And 
this kind of gets to the broader point of the health people can no longer be separated from this stuff because so in your face i I, you've probably seen the articles going around saying that now um fitness is a far-right phenomenon like what the fuck is this everything's a far-right phenomenon now (laughs) yeah i have seen articles about that god there was something else really recently too that was something they were trying to portray as alt-right that was so fucking absurd mm-hmm. i just can't think of what it is unfortunately but yeah it's it's just you know being well because fitness is is associated with being an alpha male right mm-hmm. that's why it's it's this fear from the left and from mainstream media which is you know obviously governed overrun by these kind of progressive leftists who have an attack on traditional manhood and masculinity mm-hmm. i would argue getting into the conspiracy weeds here but i would argue that it's an attack on the ability to have a coherent family unit or coherent um, structures as though we we used to have, right? You attack alpha males, you attack the family unit, you attack the ability for people to earn money and have self-respect and stand up and be fit and not be dependent on, you know, government organizers to dictate who and who we can't talk with and date with and, you know, identify with. For me, it's all an identifying or an a attack on the overarching culture and standards of culture. Because once you can break those down, it becomes far easier to propagandate people or propagandize people. It becomes easier to give people handouts because now they no longer have reliable structures. They no longer have family units to fall back on. They no longer have friend groups that have common interests like working out. And like men traditionally have very strong uh, inter-friend groups, right? For years, for decades, you know, men stay friends. Maybe women, not so much, but men stay friends for decades. And I think that this all ties into breaking down our ways of communicating and our ways of having common bonds that unite us, that give us a perspective on the world, that give us a a system of fallback monetarily, uh, communally, for housing, for family, all this shit. I guarantee you this is all a strategy to break that down because it makes it easier to propagandize us and makes us weaker and more susceptible to the government as far as the nanny state and providing everything you need. Yeah, you know, I've definitely had similar thoughts. And uh, I kind of want to bounce this off of you because I'm not sure if I really had the chance to bounce it off anybody else. But with Me Too, when that kind of all came out, um, I'll, I'll caveat it before I kind of go on the Was that, was hashtag Meet, meet Too? Your, uh, that was the one you started up when the beef <laughs> the beef carcinogen thing was out there? You, oh, got no, removed from, you got removed from YouTube and you hashtag Meet Too? <laughs> I should have. I should have. That was way before I got on YouTube. I've, I've had the podcast for six months. It's kind of crazy to me. I already have 90 episodes. But Damn, that, um, I know you're cranking them out, man. Oh, yeah, I, I, I try to stay busy, but, you know, I'm, I'm yep. blessed to be able to talk to people like you and John, Mark. Yeah, I mean, you you go down the fucking lineup. It, it blows my mind that I've been able to talk to all the people I've been able to talk to. But um, it's kind of convenient. The Me Too movement was around for about... 10 years in 2017, I want to say, right? And then we get a white male president, right? And look, I if you look at my Twitter, you will not see me criticizing Biden anywhere near as much as I criticize Trump. And yeah, I'll criticize mm-hmm. Biden, but uh, I typically attack the right more because I look at them and say, okay, they should be good on all this stuff, but they're right, yeah. not. They have the potential to be good, but they're not. The left, it's like, oh, what am I saying that hasn't already been said clear as day? The left's not attacking the right in any meaningful way. They're just screeching, ah, you're racist, right? So we had Donald Trump as president, and then all of a sudden all these Me Too accusations come out, right? What did Donald Trump represent? He represented a you know, strong patriarchal male figure. He was a father. He was a married man. Granted, he wasn't, you know, the best kind of married man out there. (laughs) But but he was still married and had kids and was a dude for all intent and purposes when you look at what he says and his demeanor. 
-hmm. So then all these people get accused of rape, right? It's very convenient for it to really blow up right then. And to me, it was basically trying to punish people for masculinity is Mm -hmm. that, you know, you can't be a man anymore. Like this is frowned upon. And that's why, you know, we have all these conventions around single mothers and women in general where, okay, well, he's not the stepdad. He's a dad who stepped up. Um, You know, you go, girl, you could do whatever you want. You know, you're going to be beautiful at all sizes, any age. It's just ironic that once again, Me Too came out when we had a a male as a president, a white guy who's just kind of your stereotypical dude. And all these women came forward with rape allegations. And then we also have all these social conventions that are supposed to make women feel good no matter what. It's Does that kind of – do you see where I'm getting at? Yeah. Well, I think it's also – when you look at, okay, how the effectiveness of demasculizing men, but also not only that, but with the Me Too movement and also the whole thing, you know, mansplaining. Um, The entire thing. I mean, that was – these are all very useful tactics Mm -hmm. because instead of having to argue with somebody, like, for example, being – you know. You don't have to argue with you if you're a racist or you're a bigot or you're, you know, X, Y, and Z, a transphobe now. You know, everybody's transphobe. Now, you know, or then I should say, since we've kind of moved past it, it was, I don't have to argue with you because you are part of the patriarchy. I don't have to argue. You're mansplaining to me right now. And you're just like, well, no, we're having a conversation. You're mansplaining me. Thus, I don't have to counter your arguments, nor do I have to uh, view you as somebody with an adequate nor viable viewpoint, right? Right. So it's basically trying to deperson you from the conversation and take you out of the running, which is, I think, why the the effectiveness of it was really pushed. And to your point, you know, again, another attack on manhood, attack on, you know, and I guess from a, a third wave feminist perspective, I can get why you're saying, okay. We've lived in a patriarchal society. I can understand that viewpoint, but at the same time, there must be, and this is what I always fall back on, there must be some reason that these societies have basically fostered all over the planet in this exact same manner. There's a reason why we've everybody's got different bathrooms in the exact same manner because this is how societies function most effectively. Now, if we could evolve past that, fine, I'm all for it, but it does seem there's an, a distinct effort to destabilize, to revolutionize, and to completely remake these cultures in a very short time span without allowing any natural evolution to occur. And that's what, you know, to me, comes back to me too, comes back to um, what's going on in the schools, what's coming around to the attack on the family units. And as I said, my conspiracy is because it is to absolutely rip asunder the basic structures of humanity, leaving everybody vulnerable. And I think that everything you know we're talking about ties into that. When you kind of take it back and look at it from that thousand foot level, you can see how each of these is a distinct attack. And this is why even what gets covered in the media, what we're prescribed to talk about climate change. I mean, Donald Trump was another one. He ripped, he literally ripped families apart. People got divorced over yep. Donald Trump. Climate change. It will rip families apart. People won't talk to their parents because they don't believe in climate change. Or they don't believe in, um, you know, that police are shooting black people, you know, in, in the head every day for no reason. These are the issues that now are 100% pushed on us that really effectively have no real impact on our lives. I'm looking outside. Climate change is not impacting life in any way I can tell. I have not seen, you know, black people uh, be shot in front of my house, nor have, I, or, nor have they come for me and my family in the night. These are the things that are pushed on us. And I tell you, it's specifically because they are the most divisive issues they know will rip people apart and break these family units apart. That's my opinion. And I think, that, I think if you look at it empirically, it seems pretty effective and you can tell that it's happening because it, we don't get a lull. 
right? We don't get a lull in any of the news coming out to just have normal, okay, well, whatever. The markets are up, the markets are down. It's constantly pivoting from one divisive, exceptionally, uh, I mean, even the war in Ukraine. What the fuck does it have to do with you and me? Nothing. <laughs> but it's all we're talking about. And if you dare to question our support of Ukraine, then people attack you as a Nazi, as a Putin puppet, as a whatever, you know, as a bigot, as a, you know, whatever it might be. So... Yeah, and I've I've labeled myself socially conservative libertarian because I do believe that the more tight-knit families, tight-knit communities you have, the less you need a government because right. you're able to depend on your neighbor, you know, your kids, your grandparents, whoever are there to help you out. But when you shatter that, then you can have the government grow and grow and grow. So that mm -hmm. way they can come in and control you by whatever means necessary. And, so and, they're your, and they're your arbiter of truth. And they're also the, you, know, you need, when you don't have a family unit or a community unit where you know how to work things out, right, mm -hmm. internally, because families, you learn how to work through problems. You have people that have passed down wisdom as far as solving this issue, working it out. You have it, your internal judge. Maybe it's your fam family matriarch is your judge. If you don't have that, you only have the government to solve your problems. And you only know the government for solving those problems. You never work anything out. And that's where you have all these fucking snowflake, you know, dickheads in college that want to get teachers fired or they call campus police and they call the administrators. If they, if somebody, you know, says uh, an N-word rapping a lyric to a song walking around campus, they call the administrators rather than going, hey man, that's not cool. You know, that kind of shit. Yeah, so um, I know you have a little bit of a time limit, but there's a couple, like, one more thing I wanted to hit with you, and then we can yeah, uh, kind of rock and roll out of here. The Ministry of Truth, or the what, what is it called, the Bureau of Disinformation? Yeah, Bureau Bureau of Government uh, Disinformation, or something like that. The new DHS organization yeah. headed by uh, you know Fruit Loop Mary Poppins. Yeah, so th these are the same people that told us twenty years ago that Saddam had weapons of mass destruction. These are the same people who told you that Iran was months away from having a nuclear weapon. These are the Still. same. To this yeah. day, months away. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah 20, 35 years. <laughs> 20, yeah, th 35 years ago, they said they were six months away. Well, they never said, well, you know, to their credit, they never said how many groups of six months they were away from having nuclear weapon. Right. Um, these are the same people that told you that the vaccine is safe and effective. Um, these are the same people who told you that your president was a Russian puppet. And they're going, they want you to believe that they're capable of deciding what is the truth and what's not the truth scary fucking times dude <laughs> it, i mean it's no coincidence is it though that these are all the same people all the time and, and it's no coincidence too i think that this rolls out right as elon musk takes over twitter I mean, that should really, if there's a light bulb that goes off in your head, uh -huh. um, or not in your head, or our heads are probably anybody listening to this, but in the general population's heads, I would hope the light bulb goes off where coincidentally, right as Elon Musk takes over Twitter and says, we're not going to, you know, we're getting rid of these labels on disinformation and we're opening it up and we're debanning people. Out of nowhere, the government decides that they need this new Bureau of Government Disinformation Monitoring to counter what? Russian disinformation. And this is my favorite too. This was in like their official release. Um, <laughs> irregular migration, right? Because we can't say illegal immigration anymore. Mm -hmm. Irregular migration 
is now what we're also countering, which is basically a fancy term for we're going to lie to you about and, and obfuscate anything about migration and, and illegal immigrants that might be happening too. But yeah, it's, it's no coincidence that when one of the biggest platforms is taken over by a free speech slash conservative libertarian, the government feels they need to have an official body to counter it. Um, but it also makes you wonder, you know, as I, as, as I talked about on my show a few times, the Biden administration was very clever in their use of social media platforms to go after political enemies, right? And this is probably, they say, to follow and, and attack extremism in the United States, domestic extremism. Yeah. But they didn't officially have a task force for it. They didn't officially have a bill that could be objected to, uh, that could be struck down or argued on the floor of you know the Congress. Instead, they just decide that they're going to work with social media companies to mine data and, buy, and basically hire out private goons to spy on this, which is what's yeah. been happening. So it's also interesting that this happens after Elon Musk is basically going to take a strike back at that because I would hope that he's not going to work with the government in the same fashion and roll over and just give them all of our information and monitor us constantly for this quote-unquote extremism. Yeah, and that's why it's so funny that people will make the uh, it's a private company bro argument. Like, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's pretty clear lines eventually when they're literally being told from the government, this is what you're yeah. allowed and not allowed to have on your platform. Same deal with the World Health Organization like I was talking about earlier. Um, it's not a private company anymore, dude. It's no. it's just not. It's not. It's a it's a, it's a public private partnership, as they like right. to say. At that point, yeah, it's no longer a private company. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there's such thing as a public private partnership. At that point, no. it's just a public partnership. <laughs> it's just public. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The government just run roughshod over you. <laughs> yeah, but then you know you have idiots that will carry the water for the regime and say it's it's a public private partnership. That's so that you know it's thrown a bone to libertarians and yeah. right leaning people who like free markets. So that way they'll just say, "Oh, well, you know what? No, it's not that bad because it's still a private company." Well, yeah. listen, don't be that fucking stupid. Please. Oh, it's, well, yeah. What's so funny about that is it's like, yeah, exactly right. They're like, oh, it's a public-private partnership, as though the private part's going to override the public part. <laughs> when it never happens, it's the only time that happens is when the private interests override the actual government interest. It's kind of flip-flopped, right? Mm -hmm. Anytime it's a private entity that's a public-private partnership, the public part takes over the private. Anytime it's a massive government emphasis on regulation, right, pharma or whatever it might be, then the private lobbyists take over that and it's then run by the private institutions. Mm -hmm. Think about that, that juxtaposition, right? Because every regulation we see put out there is pushed through by these lobbyist groups to quash competition. But yet, whenever the government gets involved with private businesses and the flip side, they always go the other way. It's kind of funky the way that works out. Yeah, dude, it's such a clusterfuck. All right, dude. I've kept you long enough. I got three last questions I ask every single guest. So um, first, what does liberty look like to you? What does liberty look like to me? Liberty to me looks like being able to live my life um, without fear. That's what liberty means to me. And, and there's a lot of different uh, ways to look at that. It could be being able to walk down the street, uh, you know, and, and maybe I have a gun, maybe I don't, but know that I'm able to protect myself, that other people are going to respect my own individualism. They're going to respect my rights to traverse this world and uh, and, and not come after me, uh, be that police or be that individuals. Um I think it also comes into play with not being afraid for the future of my children, what you know, what the government could do to them, um, if they're gonna be, you know, differently viewed and and allowed to participate in society in a free way. I think it also comes in a uh, not living in fear for my money. You know, what's gonna happen to my funds, what's gonna happen to my house, what's gonna happen to my land, and um and having confidence in that 
everything will be respected from a private property rights perspective. So hmm. liberty is a uh, an absence of fear for me. Hmm. Okay. What does health look like to you? The opposite of what my everyday life is for the most part. <laughs> no, I, 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 I dabble in, I, I, I dabble in all sorts of, of, of drug or not drugs of drink and, uh, and, and heavy foods and everything else. But mm. I don't know. Health to me is uh, probably a balance. I think everything is a balance. You know, I used to do a lot of Kung Fu stuff and yoga. So I do believe in, you know, having natural equilibrium in your body. I do believe in some natural energies and, uh, and the way in which you keep yourself moving is to be able to balance out the good and the bad and make sure that you have some sort of equilibrium within yourself. And anytime you get out of that by doing one, one or the other one, a little bit too much or too little, uh, that's when you can really get in trouble. And I think that's when you get a lot of your cancers and everything else bring into fuck you up. Yeah. Yeah, dude, I got you. All right. Um, where can everybody find you and uh, anything you got going on in the near future? Yeah, well, so, you know, Lions of Liberty Network, that's the one that's got all three shows. You can subscribe to that feed and get my podcast, Mean Age Daydream, which is Wednesdays. Monday is our flagship show. It's been around forever with Mark Claire called Lions of Liberty. And uh, Thursday is Finding Freedom with John Odermatt. And then I also have another podcast called The Boring, B-O-H-R-I-N-G podcast. That's just, for the most part, straight comedy. It's very un-PC. We do some politics, but a lot of it's just kind of just bullshitting about different topics. Me and a couple of the other Lions of Liberty do that. It's a great show. That's weekly. And um, I'm doing a uh, actually a comedy show. My first comedy show in a while. I did one other with my buddy Adam Choit, but it's going to be at my house. I'm doing it with Robbie the Fire Bernstein oh, for nice. his porch tour. Yeah, so he's coming. It's going to be at my house. So, uh, you know, I'll have my guns locked and loaded. But if anybody's interested in that, yeah, just look up uh, Porch Tour with Robbie the Fire Bernstein. Of course, it's on part of the problem. We're going to be doing a show May 21st here. So that'll be a lot of fun. And then I'll, I'll be at the convention if people want to come and say hi. Nice, man. All right. Well, this was a blast. And um, I guess uh, without further ado, man, let's uh, let's get rock and roll. I didn't even know what the fuck I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, and go at Brian McWilliams on new Twitter. Ah, like there new, you go. new Twitter. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> nice, dude. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me, man. It was a lot of fun. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.